Home, episode three. Uh, come with a new special guest. We finally found a new home. Uh, welcome to the den. I guess I'll call that for now. We have a new guest today. We have Theo, designer, clothing designer slash ID major. We go to school together. Theo, do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm Theo Amazonas. Um, I'm a rising junior at Georgia Tech, industrial design major. Um, Brazilian family, born in the U.S., been here my whole life in Atlanta, uh, somewhat unfortunately. But um, that's kind of taken me to do what I do, I guess. Um, and uh, I mean, thank you for having me, bro. I really appreciate the opportunity. I've never done any kind of intern, like an interview before, so this is definitely like the yeah. first for me. No, you deserve, you deserve. You honestly need more recognition. There's not many people like. There's not many people. There's a lot of clothing brands. Yeah, there's a lot. It's very saturated. But, like, to have... I guess it's the first time I've ever seen somebody with a vision. And with that cut and sew, like, technique and the amount of effort you put into it and creativity and all the inspirations that you draw, definitely, like, there's something that I'm down to stick down, like, that path and follow you to see where you get to. Yeah. No, definitely. This is dope. So, like, for me, journey for sure. Yeah. So, to start, like, give us a little bit about you, like, where you're from, uh, like, your origin story. Um. So basically, I first started off like doing anything creative was drawing. Like, that was my first passion. Um. Since I was super young, I guess like that was the first thing I really like did by myself. I guess mm-hmm. was just draw before I did any sports or anything. Um, and so that way, I, I like never consider myself like a super imaginative person. Like, I would just like draw, like just like action figures and like shit that I had around me as a kid. Um, but then as I grew up, I started getting away from that. I was like doing other stuff, and then um, always drawing, you know, like just like kind of like doodling as a hobby. And then once I started getting a little bit more like affirmation from people around around me, like my, you know, my teachers and stuff, being like, whoa, that's actually really good, like. You should really pursue this. Um, my family too, even though my family's always kind of been like, you know, you can't do art. That's never gonna get you anywhere. Uh, I really started like trying to build my like my creative side and like my imagination, not just like copying stuff and like actually getting technical with it, but like actually trying to you know develop a style. That's something I always struggled with was like figuring out what my style is, you know, because I feel like everybody says this, and I think people really take it for granted sometimes, you know. But like if you really think yourself to be a perfectionist and you see that as kind of like a negative thing um it's it's really true like it can really get get in the way of you actually you know developing and so for me it was about like having this perfect style and like really like honing in on what I thought was cool what I wanted to like portray in my art and I think I got to a point where I was just like um you know I I think I found it like I like what I, I like what I do I like the style and it was like these sharp lines um, very minimalistic. All my drawings were like super calculated. I was never doing anything like very abstract. Um, and so I, I started doing those like actual, you know, like proper drawings on like a, you know, like a 12 by 11 piece of paper. And I, um, I just like put it up on, on social media and I, I, like, I just kept getting affirmation. Like I just kept getting like this positive feedback. Um, and it really like motivated me to do more with it. And I, at this point I was probably like in 11th grade of high school. And um, I was getting into thrifting. I was getting into like clothes. Before that, I was like Abercrombie and Fish type of boy, like middle schooler, just wearing like Hollister and shit. I thought that was cool. And my sister, 
basically like brought me into this whole other other side which was just thrifting was was like finding like cheap ass clothes unique stuff and i got like kind of obsessed with this you take me all the time and like i i just loved it like i was like yo this is a treasure hunt. like i need to find like yeah. the crazy harvey davidson shirt um and so after that point i started like finding these cool pieces and i was like well i should just put my i should put i should put my art on this i should get like my my drawings printed on some of these pieces um, and then I, I started to like develop like you know more drawings and more like you know like things that I wanted to do um, like 2D wise and um, started putting it on T-shirts and stuff um, and at this point I guess like the the brand name for me had always been like jokingly was like Smyrna because Smyrna was like representative of me at my like small little bubble high school you know with like a hundred kids in my grade. You know, I was just kind of like the, the, the dude from Smyrna, like, oh, Theo's having a party? I don't want to drive 40 minutes to his house, type of thing. Mm. Um, so it was it was kind of like characteristic, and so I just stuck to that, um, changed the Y to a U, kind of arbitrarily. I didn't want it to be, like, explicitly the city. You know, I, I wanted it to be more of this, like, meaningless word. Um, and I played around with other, like, other names, too, but for whatever reason, Smyrna kind of just spoke to me the most. Um, I felt like it was more personal. I wasn't trying to, like, be some contrived, like, I don't know, like... Yeah, I, I I can't even compare it to anything. Like some brands now that just have these names that are a little bit like, okay, how'd you come up with that? You know, like, yeah. that, it was a little far fetched. You know, he's just trying to be something that's like woke or like you know very like woke. This is you know intellectual. Um, for fashion. me, I was just like, yeah, exactly, high fashion. And for me, I was just like, you know, just pick some stupid and roll with it. So that's Smyrna, um, the name. And then started putting on T-shirts, started selling some T-shirts, and um, started getting into like more collage work. And then from there until now, it's just been kind of like this whole, you know, process with me learning like ID stuff, like 3D design and like, you know, trying to balance those two and also like them kind of overlapping. But um, as far as like the origin story, that's pretty much it. Yeah. And like, I remember when we first met, like you were slapping stickers. That was your original yeah, like, that was marketing. The, that was the advertising. And I would see all your stickers across school. And I remember you handed me that whole pack. I still, I still have some of them, one or two of them. But uh, every time I see somebody new or like they're into clothes and they have that same vision, I'm like, yo, you need to check this guy out. Like I tell my cousin all the time, he lives up in New York. And I was like, yo, check this guy, out, check this guy. Cause yeah, like, man, good. you like, not only do you have that entire concept of like the skeleton man, and I wish everybody could see it, but uh, you'll explain it to them more later. But like, the skeleton you have the skeleton man, and you have this like more abstract industrial take on streetwear clothing. Like, you have like uh, the dicky suits, yeah, with the jackets, or you have like even with your tones, you have like sand or dust color camel coats, and I don't even know, man. It's just a whole different. Yeah, world. no. I mean, the first time I met you, I was like really getting into um, like the thrifted stuff and like wanting to put some of that art onto mm -hmm. it and embroidery. Like embroidery really became my like that was my shtick as far as clothes. Like I wasn't really cutting, so I had no idea how to sew. I was just like, oh, embroidery is cool. Like let me do this machine. Basically, does it all for mm -hmm. me. And so I just like chuck my drawings into the into the software, and it spit out like you know like these these sick designs that come out like whoa, this is insane. How did this happen? And so for me, it was like really taking the stuff that I find out of thrift, taking it to the store where I could get it embroidered, or going to tech using their machine, and then getting where like the jacket you wore embroidered that at tech. Um, and I just sit behind the machine for like, you know, four plus hours to get a design that's like, was it like eight by five? Mm -hmm. um, 
and like after that I just started you know things things worked out for me you know I got the I got the startup um, like I applied for that and got in but um, it, it played out in a way that you know was really you know beneficial for me and it's 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 crazy to look back now like two years ago when I when I really started it and like think about how much is how much has changed since and the people that I've met like the influences that I've gained um, and just like all the all like the great feedback people wanting to collaborate and like you know, seeing other designers like starting up and like really being able to tell them like, you know, this, this, and this is what you should do because I went through it. You know, like that feels, it feels good to be able to give somebody some like actual advice, like real advice because you just lived it like the past year. Um, even with like, you know, non-brand related stuff like the CreateX thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really been like a, it's been like a, uh, like a crazy acceleration until now. Yeah. So I know you have a little bit of experience with growing like a local brand in Atlanta with the likes of like uh, Kid Boys or like anybody that is in the realm of the Atlanta streetwear market. So for anybody that's coming up or has an idea of coming up with a clothing brand, you have like three main ideas or three main obstacles that they're going to hit in the road that you would advise them about. Yeah, as far as obstacles, um... You know, there's the obvious ones like scaling and like actually finding production or like, you know, making sure that you like market well. Um, I can only speak from like personal experience. So I'll, t- I'll talk about the shit that I face um, starting the brand and even now. Um, number one is definitely marketing. Marketing is super difficult in, the, in like an industry like like clothing, and especially if you're like a 20 year old or if you're a 17 year old starting a brand, it's super hard to be one person. Say you're one person. It's so hard to be that one person and be designing, staying original, staying creative, and then marketing. Because the marketing is just an afterthought. You know, like you already put everything together and now you gotta actually like tell people, hey, come buy this. Yeah. You, know, you kind of feel like a piece of shit. It's just like, all right, why am I whoring my product around just in order to make money off of it? You just want people to like it and buy it, you know? Mm-hmm. At least that's the way I think about it. Like I'm not trying to be the you know, the, the, the salesperson for my for my brand. But you have to. So I think number one is really like understanding that if you're one person doing it you have to wear all the hats like it's it's you you have to be on the instagram you have to be like maybe create a twitter you know maybe create a newsletter like if you want if you want to make money from this thing if you want people to actually see it then you got to market it mm-hmm. you know and that just means being open like you have to be as open as possible i think the the, the thing that i see a lot um in atlanta and probably even more in like bigger cities is people like being exclusive and like having this like exclusionary mindset where it's like you're not as creative as me, or your stuff is kind of lame, or your stuff isn't as technical, so I can't fuck with you because I'm on this plane, like, I, I'm, a, I'm a step above you. Um, and there's, like, a lot of that um, in Atlanta, not that much, but, I mean, like, you see it, and you see brands, like, kind of, like, being a little bit more exclusive because, you know, they don't, you know, they don't want to step down to that, to the dude who's just, like, starting out. But I think being as open as possible, especially when you start out and when you're, when you're a little bit more up, it just opens so many more doors for you, you know? Like, you should really be able to, like, you know, talk to somebody and help them out with their brand or, like, talk to them about whatever they do, whether they're an artist or they're, like, you know, whatever they are. Um, so staying open, staying open to, like, people coming in and, and wanting to help you out and, like, just having conversations with people because you get inspiration, you get ideas from anybody. Yeah. Um, and then probably I'd say, you know, obviously what you make is, is super important, right? So if you're, if you're doing prints on T-shirts and hoodies, there's nothing wrong with that, you know? It could be misconstrued as, like, that's not fashion, that's not cool, that, like, that's been done. 
but I, I mean, I would argue that like depending on your print, you know, it's it's visual art still. You know, mm -hmm. you could be a Picasso and put it on a hoodie, and it'd still be like if you're the first Picasso, it's a fucking Picasso. You know, mm -hmm. so I think that that's important to be like stick to your guns. Like if you're good at that, do that to the best of your ability. Not only that, right, but like make sure you hone in that craft. Make sure you're really good at that, and that people know that you're good at that. So if that means like you're a great I don't know. You're a great drawer or you're a great painter. Put that on. Put that on the hoodies, you know. Or do straight drawing or straight painting onto the hoodies, so it's more unique. Mm -hmm. You know, I think being being focused on your creativity and like your your craft, like your imagination, is super super important. Because like as a lot of people know, it's so it's so saturated. Like there's so many yeah. brands who are just like putting out like hype in the fucking thrasher letters on a hoodie, yeah. and that sells. So, I mean, Virgil's like a prime example, but my hate on Virgil like goes way beyond that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so those are the main obstacles, man. I, I, I think I faced, um, I think I faced all of those. And obviously there's a lot more that you would encounter, but I think those are probably the major ones for somebody yeah. like my age or younger starting out. Yeah. So then we go into this topic about like how you use thrifted clothes and it's not like you go to a textile shop and you say like, I like these fabrics, I like these fabrics. You go into a thrift store and you find your pieces like they might not all be the same but they have like a similar design on you trying to find like all the navy jacks you can find or all you know the black or white t-shirts you can find but they're not all the same they might have their own defects or own like little discrepancies and that's what all makes them unique right so how do you feel about this like growing trend of uh sustainable fashion like sustainable contemporary fashion um I think it's great. I think it's going in the right direction. I think it'll stay going in that direction. Um, but for me, like it was always about sustainability, and like I think one of the one of the main pillars um, in my in my design process, not even just with clothes, is sustainability. Um, I, I being like an industrial designer, like that's a huge conflict. You know, like you're making products that will eventually, you know, die. They will eventually like you know be trash. They'll be recycled, whatever. So I think it's super important to to, to focus on like reliability, longevity in your products. Um, you want to ultimately make stuff that's going to last longer than you will. Um, so I think having that kind of mentality with, with whatever you make, whether it's clothes um, or, you know, like cars or if you're making, like, you know, products or whatever, mm -hmm. I think that's a huge part of it. And especially with clothes, you have such, like, a huge, you know, you have a huge arsenal of stuff to pick from that's already been used. Yeah. And I think not only does that add, like, a, you know, like conscientious value to your clothes, it, it also adds uniqueness, like you were saying, like yeah. each piece has its own little discrepancy, and I think that's something that's really important. Like you might get a pair of jeans with one wash, and it's still like that, like light blue. You might get another that's light blue, but it has like maybe some like tints of yellow or whatever. Yeah. So I think that uniqueness is super important, and um, and just keeping shit, like, it, it keeps going. Yeah. So I ask people, like, yo, send me your stuff, I'll embroider for you, I'll put whatever you want on it, I'll send it back to you, you know, because I think people are too quick to, like, throw away clothes, and... You know, somebody's yeah. gonna find it, and it's whether or not you, you know how to upcycle yeah. it. It's like just the fashion scene in general. Like, I know I see it some in New York where everybody's stuck on like this high fashion. I have to wear these sort of brands wave, but like, in my opinion, I feel like fashion should move more in like expressing how you are personally. Like, what's your personality? Do you like wearing Hawaiian shirts, or are you like a track runner dude? So you wear like Air Maxes or Ultra Boost or all that stuff. I feel like. Nowadays, a lot of people are just going after the trend of what everybody else yeah. finds is cool, like Yeezys. Like, I'm not hating on them, but like, to each your own. 
but everybody's some people wear stuff that doesn't fit them or how they are at all and they'll yeah. feel uncomfortable but just exactly. for the sake of looking cool that's a lot with that with shoes yeah. like people will be wearing like a size 10 and they're like a size 7 it's like no but i had to wear the fucking jordan 4s like i just needed them yeah i think it's i think it's weird because clothing is like regarded as such like a oh it, it is art like that's an art medium mm-hmm. you know it's like painting it's like music but when you look at it it's so like shrouded with all this like trend hype you know, business, like it is business, yeah. it's an industry, you know, not like painting is, not like, I mean, music obviously, but it's still different, mm-hmm. um, because you could talk about like mainstream pop music, and then you talk, and then you look at that, like, compared to like mainstream clothes, and trends in clothes, and I just think clothing is just like a lot, it's just a lot grosser, like it's a lot more like crass, the way shit becomes so hyper wanted, you know, like you have like Fashion Novas and like all those like Instagram brands that are, you, yeah. know, you know, they're garbage. Like you look at their body and it's just like flame, 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 like yeah. little like demon emojis and shit like that is just like, you know, you're tainting the whole industry because you're taking either you're robbing somebody who made that design, you know, and you have the ability or this team, whoever they are, has the ability to scale that design and sell it to all like the fiends on, you know, social media. Not fiends, they're just unaware. Yeah. But, um, like that compared to any other creative industry for me is it sucks because like it's 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 that much harder to get into because you have so much of this like you know like fake competition mm-hmm. which is actually kind of just like looking for new designs and looking for what like the people want and it's it's really down to the consumer because if the consumer wasn't so like wired to want you know the the new Kanye's or the, or whatever the fuck they want you yeah. know it it would be different mm-hmm. but unfortunately with with clothes. You know, it's just because you wear it, you have to, like, yeah. be seen as something, like, that people can identify with, people are familiar with. So. And I think that's a big problem that we face with today, like, how people feel like you need the clothes to be something or not be something and then, like, wear whatever. Like, yeah, exactly. I, mean, I feel it's a fear of being, of being not that. It's a fear of being yeah. like, outside of the herd and being outside of, like, that bubble. Yeah. You know, it's like you want to be, people want to see you and be like, oh, I'm familiar with that. Like I know those shoes, or like I know though that like, that color palette, or whatever, yeah. you know. So it's it's weird. It's like a way for you to like communicate with people, like no, I'm one of you, or like no, yeah. I'm I'm with the group, like I'm I'm aware, like I'm in touch. Yeah, or but it's like I have something that you don't have. Yeah, but then that kills like self-expression. That's the opposite of self-expression. Yeah, like I see when, especially even though Supreme has been out for a yeah, long time since the '90s, everybody hopped on the wave when like Tyler creators started wearing it more and you saw yeah it had a lot more public exposure and there became like huge hype culture over that with Jordans and became inaccessible to even get anything near a t-shirt right and I don't even understand why they let it get to that point as a skate brand I mean like I get like the whole business side like if there's supply I mean if there's demand then like you should definitely keep supply low if you want to keep people coming coming for more but like as a skate brand i was meant to be like laid back just to form like a community like i feel like skating is one of those like brotherhood type i can't even say like an industry but like a hobby or profession where people come together with like interests and they try to express themselves differently maybe you wear like sbs or maybe you wear adidas or maybe you know you try and wear like button ups and skinny jeans every time right. you skate. Like it just shows like who you are and how your perspective of life is, or like the life that you lived on. And now everybody wants to fit this like certain mold. Exactly, everybody wants to look like the skater. That's true. Yeah, 
And Supreme, like, I feel like that's the kind of brand that really had, like, that like, tight-knit community, that, like, consumer base. And then as soon as they started, like, really scaling and kind of, like, you know, just hinging on the products that really sold well, mm-hmm. you know, they lost that because then your, like, real customers, like, the people who really love your brand and who just, like, wear that day in, day out, I'm like, well, no, because now I got to look like Bobo Joe, who's got, like, the flaming hair and just wants to look like me, but they're not, you know, it's yeah. like a yo pro in the city who just wants to look like a skater, but they're not, yeah. you know, so then you kind of, like, you corrupt that little, like, close-knit community that you have by going, like, worldwide and, like, making money, ultimately, but I think the brand is, at this point, is, you know, who's buying that, you know, you've got, like, max 15-year-olds buying that, mm-hmm. so, yeah, so that brings one you, route, but. yeah, so that brings me to my next question, where, with Smyrna, and, like, however far it goes in the future however big it gets are you more concerned about the message or the business always the message for me i, I think the i think business is doing poorly now because i'm so concerned with the message because i'm concerned mm-hmm. with like writing this story and like having good designs you know because when you're sitting in like the driver's seat of it you see your stuff like you see your design you see your drawings all the time so you get bored with that and if you have a business mindset it's not even about that like you just kind of got to turn off that like boredom and like that like you know Mm -hmm. complacency because you you have to you know you have to sell that but for me it's like it's it's about me first of all so if i'm if i'm feeling like this design is is old and i like want to refresh it i gotta you know i gotta stick to the to the creation i gotta stick to like the ideas and not the business you know, like, obviously I want to make money, but I'm at a point in my life where, like, I'm going to school, you know, I'm about to get my degree, and so that's always my plan B, and this can always be my hobby for the rest of my life, but it's really about me, like, putting out good work, mm-hmm. you know, because I could either be putting out the stuff that I have now for the next five years, like, I'm sitting on a huge catalog, I got, like, a hella jackets, I got all these collages, I got a bunch of drawings, I could just spit those out in different little color variations and, and make money off of that if I was really, like, business-minded, which I'm not, but I could also just, like, stick to making good stuff, like, new new designs new you know new new variations of like cut and sew ideas and for me that's more important because i feel like over the over these past like three years i guess that i've really like taken on this like clothing endeavor it's only gotten better like i think like my sewing skills have only improved my like just like my creativity just improved i think people like people underestimate you know the malleability of your creativity like that's something you can really change yeah just like think about it a little bit more spend a little bit more time with yourself and just like really consider what makes you tick, like, what makes you creative, like, what makes you, those, like, impulsive, like, urges that you have to, like, oh, I gotta write that down, or I gotta draw that out, you know, and so for me, it's about, like, focusing on that and putting out, like, the best that I can, because I don't know what I, what's the best I can put out, so it's about, like, finding that for me. Yeah, because, like, once you start, once you start, like, diving into it, in any type of profession or anything at all, just life in general, once you start diving into it, you realize how you can tweak different things so it look like this, like, Let's take, for example, like editing or clothing. Once you get more adept at sewing, you realize you can do like this a different way. You can stitch it a different way. Right. And you can make this, like you could add different features to it by just like switching up your technique or becoming more unorthodox with it. Right. So even with like dressing, you can dress a certain way if you're going out or something like that. I feel like a lot of this like new wave of like formal casual fashion has come off that stigma of like okay I come to I have like a dance or something I go to so let me put on these boots let me put on a suit whatever or you have that one guy that's like 
in that case, it happened to be me, like my prom. I had, I had a suit, had a jacket, I had pants, but I didn't have a shirt. And I didn't feel like reusing the shirt, so I had a old CDG shirt that I had like sitting there. So I was like, no, I'm gonna go to my prom in this. They, they were clowning me. I'm okay with getting clowned. Like, was it like a button up or was it a polo? It was the long sleeve, the striped t-shirt. Oh, word. Okay. Yeah. So I had like a black, black suit with the striped t-shirt. Everybody was like, yo, what is that? What is that? That's fine. Yeah, so I was like, I'm just doing me. Right. Like, I've seen it before. I don't want a jacking body style, but, like, I've seen it before. So, like, let's see how it goes. Uh, you have it, a shirt, so. Yeah. So, like, initial reception, one thing I say for people that are trying to be creative is not to get, like, discouraged by the initial yeah, reception. Because inevitably, like, I don't want to say it in this, like, more trendy way, but, like, you're... You're the trendsetter. Your idea is the trendsetting, and you just have to show people why this is the shit. Yeah. Otherwise, if they if they don't get that confidence from you, they won't embody it themselves. Yeah, they won't themselves exactly. Yeah. So. It definitely applies to dressing too. Like mm-hmm. like actually like wearing what you want to wear is mm-hmm. is is exactly that. You know, it's yeah. it's really about like really you figuring out what makes you creative, what makes you want to. You know, dress that certain way and just wearing it. And clothing is a little harder to do that because you can so easily just get shot on because you're wearing it. It's not like you're walking around with your painting on. You're wearing the clothes that you chose. Yeah. So it's, no, I completely agree. I think it applies to like a lot of things that people don't realize. I think the way you dress is representative of your creativity. And, you know, in that sense, you are in one way making art like you are like making art by the way you dress you know because you're expressing yourself creatively yeah. and if that's not the definition of art then i don't know what the, fuck the definition of art you're is. a portrait exactly you're a portrait you're a song you know like that all that shit applies like art can't be so vague and then be so specific when it's applied to certain you know scenarios if you're dressing a certain way you're expressing yourself you're making art mm-hmm. but maybe you're not an artist but you're making art in that you know that day that you put on those that cdg yeah. shirt and the blazer you know so, yeah yeah but like uh concerning like the things that inspire you what are if it whether it's like music or i know since your idea like any type of buildings or places that inspired not only like your vision for smyrna but your style personally yeah so like i said i mean my sister's a huge plays a huge role in um in like my selection and like the clothes that i pick out mm-hmm. um and she's one person who has like super super distinct style i don't think she falls into any category um, and so she's a huge inspiration for me, for sure. And um, as far as like ID, there's a lot of, I mean, I came into Georgia Tech as, a, as an architecture major. So there's a lot of architects that I, you know, take a lot of inspiration from. And I only didn't go with architecture because I thought ID would give me, you know, broader options, which it does. Um, but um, I love like uh, deconstructivist architects that kind of, it's a type of architecture where it doesn't necessarily it's like the definition of it is that it doesn't it doesn't look like anything that you would be familiar with so it's about like taking a symbol or taking an idea that's like a preconceived notion so you have like a cube and like making that cube look so unfamiliar that to somebody just looking at it's like that's not a cube but it actually is it's built like a cube you know that structure is built like a rectangle but it's it has certain things about it that are just like it misconstrues these like preconceived notions of the way a building should look so like um, optical illusions yeah kind of like optical illusion illusions but also just like 
Um, it's almost like arbitrary. The way it's built is almost arbitrary. It looks arbitrary because it's so unfamiliar. Um, like Frank Gehry is a, a great example. Um, there's a building in China that's like super, like one of the, one of the most like, um, what is it called? Like praised buildings in, in like the world of architecture. It's the CCTV building. I think it's in like Shanghai. But it's built so weird. It's like it almost looks like a like a big ass Lincoln log because it's got like this base that goes. It's like a short building on the bottom of the base. It's hard to explain, but it's like a massive building. Um, Let's and, pull it up. Yeah, it's called a CCTV building in China, uh, and uh, I don't know, it's weird, it's all glass, kind of looks like a snake type of thing that goes around, but, um, has nothing to do with clothes, but as far as, like, shit that I like to see and that, like, I yeah. enjoy, as far as, like, designers or artists. Talking about this? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Like, it just looks almost goofy, you know? Like, you don't see buildings built like that. That's dope. Yeah, how, how do you even, like, get in that? But that's really, like, testing what architecture would be, like, where we stand today in terms of technology. Like, exactly. We can build a building that is not centered and is leaning, but, like, not even leaning Tower of Pisa, like, actually just, like, leaning over or, like, you have an eco-garden on your exactly. terrace. It's like, if you can do it, why not? You know? Yeah. And then people say, like, oh, because these are, the, like, the rules and the guidelines. And it's like, oh, why do we have those rules and guidelines? Mm -hmm. You know, so it's kind of like... This like idea of undermining, you know, what we think we know. Um, yeah. And Frank Gehry, who's like a one of like the pioneers, if not the pioneer, um, he took a lot of the ideas, or it may actually not have been him, but one of them took a, took the ideas from um, a philosopher who was um, Derrida, who who created deconstructionism, and it's basically the same idea. It's just like um, our understanding of symbols and like of ideas. And why the, the, these things are the way they are, and you know why? Why do they have to be that way? Or like, why can't they be different? You know, so like you name something, it's called a cat. Like, why is it called a cat? And shit like that. Yeah. Um, Getting more into like abstract and just like thinking exactly. outside the box. Exactly. Having open-ended questions and like actually think for yourself, and that plays into society as well. Like, I feel like everybody. How, if there's a better way to say that everybody wants to think inside this box or they're like we've been trained into a way where if we're not thinking inside this box it's like it must be obviously wrong or it won't right. lead to anything exactly. like it's just an inconceived notion but yeah like i also want to take this time to talk about like you as not only a clothing designer but like just a designer in general because it doesn't only encompass you like messing with fabric you're right. You're into architecture. You're into designing logos or cars and yeah. stuff like that. So like, I even did. I remember there's a point in time, and still is like, I see myself getting into like modernism. I want to go into like architecture eventually. Like, I want to learn all the stuff I can as an engineer now, so then I could apply it to building like buildings. Cause like, I think that's right. Like, one of my notable moments is the what is it ferris bueller's day off mm -hmm. the house where they have the little the old like ferrari 250 in there yeah and he runs it off yeah that house is dope so i really want to get into like modernism architecture even buildings like that eventually i want to make like a garage space where like it's more modern art you might have like have you seen ever seen fast and furious mm -hmm. Tokyo Drift? so you know how they have like the car elevator yeah, yeah. Where it had, like, each car in a see-through box. I want something like that where you can, like, you have, like, a walkway 
and the cars are all in their like own slots. Is this your like own that. house, dude? If it can be, if it can I'll be, make, yeah, I'll make it. that too. No, I, I completely agree. I think it applies to like anything. You know, I think um, especially you as like an ME, like you have the you have the foundation to pursue architecture. Like it, it'll be it'll definitely be easy for you. Um, and I think it's I think it's important to just be able to like be broad with it just like try and try and find as much as as much as you like like for me with clothing it's probably like the thing that i'm the worst at it's the thing that i'm like i i find the hardest to do um like sewing um i only started learning to sew like a year ago and i've only really made probably like 15 pieces um that are actual cut and sew um and so for me it's also about like finding the thing that you like but you're not that good at and like really developing that skill set um and for me that was about like finding people like i had a friend in my class who was like super into sewing um he was really good at it he like was pattern making like had had like the connections with the you know the, the fabric suppliers and so for me it was really just like getting him taking me under under his wing and like showing me the ropes and like explaining to me like oh this is a presser foot that's the dog feet you gotta stick your hands under that and that's how you turn it off um, and I was like, because he had a whole studio, like this kid, uh, I don't know where he gets his money from, but he is insanely wealthy, I guess, from his family, and he would just buy shit. He had, like, a industrial sewing machine, he had an embroidery machine, he had a serger, like, and he had, a, like, a laser cutter in his garage. Now he has, like, a whole CNC machine that he's building himself, and he's, like, CNCing aluminum. It's crazy. Um, he doesn't stick to one thing, like, he's just like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sewing, I'm CNC. But, um, yeah, so for me, it was, like, learning how to sew. And on the side, like I, I've always loved sculpting. Um, like this, the, the skeleton guy that you talk about, that's on the sticker. That was originally a sculpture that I did in high school that I made out of porcelain. And there was a little skeleton hand with a tea bag in the head. Um, and then there was like a wooden frame around it. So that's when I like started to kind of woodwork, I guess, and like, like actually learning how to like mold a face and like do the little, you know, the phalanges and everything, all the little bones, um, all out of porcelain. And so. I love that. Like that was really like one of the first things that really got me into like a whole new medium. Because originally it was just drawing, um, and then from there like woodworking, tech. Um, I recently made the like the, the lamp that's on my page. It's like yeah. the balloon thing. Um, I love doing that. I learned how to vacuum form. I was like, this is the craziest shit I've ever done. Um, and it was super hard. Um, I got I got a bunch of shit from my teachers. Like my professor was like, "What the fuck is this? Like you should be in art school." My professor last semester was only telling me I should be in art school the whole time, um, and I kind of love to hear it because like I'm not. I'm at Tech, um, and I feel like it's important for me to be able to realize and like not, you know, not take offense to people at Tech who are like, "Yo, this is art. Like what are you doing?" Because for me, like I always perceive design in the way that I make it as art. Like it'll always be personal. It'll always be like my own. You know, the, my my own interpretation of a certain idea, or like a design brief, and yeah. so for me, that's art. Like that's my idea. I'm expressing it the way that I want to. I have that liberty, so I'm gonna do it that way. There's a lamp. The thing yeah. still lights up. You know, um, but uh, also like uh, carving, carving wood, and now like writing. Like I'm really, I'm really trying to like learn how to write and learn like the, you know, like the conventions and and and, and do it well. Um, it's hard for sure. I've never really been like a you know a writer at all. I liked it when I was younger, but I always had teachers telling me like, "You're just like a writer. Like, don't do this." Yeah. Um, my my family too. My sister's a great writer, so she always gives me shit for it. But it's something that I really like because I, I've I've been reading more sci-fi, and then I'm like, "Well, this is amazing. Like, I love this. Um, like the whole lore, like the whole universe side of it." Um, 
so that's like I guess a new like a new you know facet of creativity that I'm trying to push and trying to learn a little bit more a little bit more of um, also balancing it. You, know, you can't really do everything, so yeah. for me that's a huge part of it. But definitely like having that range is really important. And that's like something that I really live by, especially going to a technical school. I want to at least start to understand like my whole purpose there is being an engineer, but I don't think being an engineer should mean that everything I do is fundamental or is to the books. Like I want to learn the constraints that the world has and then figure out how to get to everything in between. Right. So, I mean, I don't, it's hard. It's definitely hard, but I don't want the label myself as an engineer not by like profession or trade because like this is something that i really love to do but i want to be able to use it to express myself through like the things i make like i love cars i want to do projects where i really like make parts from scratch like i literally want to learn how to make every single part from scratch and implement to a car that will work and run and even have like better performance advantages like now we're moving into ev so i don't know if i have to get into like the electrical side to start getting to that but like definitely it was mostly like design mostly like the shape of the cars that really got me into it like i remember looking at older skylines or like even ferraris I remember they just have smooth lines and curves, and I really tried to get into it and looking at designers like Pininfarina and uh, Zagato and all those like Italian. Is this Zagato? Is Zagato the? Um, is that the Han? Is that the? What's it called? Pagani or not Zonda? Zonda. 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 But him too. He's actually. That shit is weird. That car is freaky, right? So it's like an insect. Yeah. The but, Pagani and the um, Uyara or whatever. Yeah, he really, he like I remember reading it. What was it? Was it a book? No, I think I watched a video about him, and he was he's been making cars since he was like ten. I wish I knew how he did it, but like he did this more to like it's kind of like a Lamborghini thing where he was more obsessed with like how it looked, but it had to perform how it looked. Right, and I think that's the thing that always gets me that always captivates me like i'm obsessed with creating some of the best things like it has to perform the best but it also has to look the best because like it's not that i don't want anybody to like fawn over it like i don't want to create like this huge like you have to have this but like it just has to stand in a class of its own right right and i think the zonda really does that and I, I know that car had like technical issues because he was so like um form over function like he was really mm -hmm. about the aesthetic of it but because it because it is so distinct in the way it looks like it does stand in some class mm -hmm. and it's still a hypercar like that that thing is still like an insane car I and mean, it's got mm -hmm. like a v12 in it and it it's a beautiful car like it, it's a freakish looking car and yet it is you know has all these these like little problems inside but yeah. it's just kind of the way he built it um and i think the whole like form over function or you know the other way around it, i think it's an important like distinction to make um, and often that's the distinction that makes somebody like less of an artist, more of a designer, less of a designer, more of an engineer. Um, but I think it's like a, it's a fluid thing. You know, I don't even think it's a spectrum. I think it's a fluid thing where you could really have those two overlapping, where you literally have the best looking thing possible. Um, obviously, like you know, that, that that's that's kind of subjective, but generally, 
and then you have it functioning at, at its highest potential. Mm-hmm. So it's not one or, or the other. It's really kind of like a balance between the two. Yeah. Um, and as a, I feel like as an engineer, you really can tap into different mediums, you know, because you have that skill set. You have like that fundamental basis of like, oh, I know how to, know how, I know how to wire this, and you know how like the dynamics of this thing works. So having that like that access into you know different types of um, like industries or fields really gives you the ability to be like, well, I, I don't just want to be like an engineer at Ford, you know, I want to be a creative. So then you take that experience and you do something creative and yeah. you become like a designer, you know? Yeah. And having that versatility, like, I don't think just because I'm an engineer that allows me to go into different fields or I can be like a mechanical engineer here and electrical engineer here, computer engineer there. Like, uh, it's... You're, everything's available for you to learn. It's just out there for you to learn. It. Right. It's up to you to have that drive and that willingness. Because like some of these things are more to read. Like you're gonna have to read books. You won't have somebody in there in class like telling you what to do. You, you'll save a lot of money, but you won't save time. And I think time is the more valuable thing. And what you should like care more about what you're doing with it than like how much money you're spending. Because like the money you can make back or it, at the end of the day it's a trivial thing it's not going to be there forever but it can allow you to open more doors but as long as you have the idea the money will come which brings me to like my next question where you you start this brand you're you know currently dealing with expanding it or like it's currently on hold right now because of everything that's going on but you're you started expanding it from like maybe like one or two t-shirts you go through the motions of marketing all of it how how did you face adversity not with like people like customer relations but even with your own product like what were some of the challenges that you faced there um definitely like technical stuff so like understanding how to um, make the best print to get on it. Um, I don't know if that's what you mean with the question. If, you, if you're referring to more like the technical side of it. Like yeah, so the actual product. like Right. Um, so yeah, definitely like when I started out t-shirts and hoodies, like that's, you know, that's printing mainly. I'm not doing any sort of cut and sew. So it was about figuring out like whether or not I wanted to go like screen printing or DTG, um, which one's more cost effective. Um, and in the beginning, I really didn't have much of like a, you know, like a business mindset. Like I didn't have any spreadsheets. I didn't really understand how to, you know, price my stuff. And so I was kind of just basing it off of like what I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and so originally it was pretty cheap. Like my stuff was like, you know, 25 bucks for a t-shirt, probably like 40 or 50 for a hoodie. Um, and really the adversity within your products, I think, is is mainly the way that you um, well, there's like there's a couple sides to it. Like for me, the main thing is with marketing. Mm-hmm. For me, the main thing is like actually putting it out there and finding the best way to put it out there, um, and like building that demand. Um, and then technically on the other side, there's also like you know your prints don't work out, or your prints don't last very long, or you apply vinyl and it peels off after a couple washes. Um, but that's all stuff that you just gotta deal with. You know, like I'll always put the design and like the creativity, the idea behind it. Um, over any sort of technical issues because I think that's that's the type of stuff that once you start scaling, once you have the money to really improve upon, it'll it'll leave. You know that type of stuff will just go out the window. Um, even though you do want to be good at your craft, like you want to know what type of vinyl will stay on, you want to know what prints the best. But that's the type of stuff you read. You know, like you said, the information is always out there. You can't like go on the internet and be like, how do how do I have better ideas? Mm-hmm. It's just not gonna happen like that. So 
for me at least it's it, i work on it and i like really try and improve upon it but i'll always keep like the ideas and you know coming up with new stuff in the forefront for sure yeah and uh i saw like your latest thing with the lamp i remember you telling me about how you were trying to get into furniture ultimately yeah so tell me a little bit about that um just through, through id man like i i feel like ideas um, at tech especially, like it's a weird major because it's something that at tech they they you know they hinge so so much on like the you know the 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 physics side of it like the the, the logical side of it, um, and for me like I, I took that opportunity where we just had like this project to make a lamp like there were no requirements it didn't have to be a floodlight it didn't have to have a certain bulb, um, the socket had to be this like IKEA socket but I was like whatever I can still do what I want with that. Um, and so I took that opportunity to make something weird. I just want to make something super weird, mm-hmm. um, something that I don't, I'd never seen before. And for me, like I had a bunch of ideas. They were all kind of involving, um, like elasticity. I wanted to play with the idea of like light passing through a stretched medium, like a, something that's kind of being pulled, or there's something inside stretching against it. Um, and so it originally was going to involve fabric. It was going to involve either latex or like some kind of silk. Um, and then I, I had a couple more ideas. I thought about it more technically, and I was like, I can't really do that. You know, there's a risk with like an incandescent bulb. I can't have that. So then I, I got into this idea of like the, like the balloon, and, and I was like, well, let me put something inside the balloon. Let me make it look like an embryo. And the original idea was that inside the balloon there would be this lamp, and then I have this like armature of this like skeleton thing. Um, and then when you turn it on, you'd see the shadow from the inside against like a wall or like on the inside itself, you'd see it. Um, it didn't really turn out that way. I didn't realize that the acrylic would be so, um, like it was, it was way too opaque. So you couldn't, you couldn't really see the armature inside. Mm-hmm. When you light it up, it still looks like, you know, it kind of has this like weird, like organ type of, you know, aesthetic to it. Um, but just stuff like that. Like I really wanted to just do stuff that's like not, it doesn't have to be like non-functional, but stuff that is just like more, um, m- more like striking and more just like. I don't know, distinctive than something that is just like, oh, this is a chair, I sit in it, these are for my arms, you know? I just wanted to do something that was just like, it's it's kind of got this like whole other element to it. Um, and for me, that was like irony and like kind of like the creepiness to it. Um, I really I really love playing with like ironic stuff with, like, like that. I think with furniture, you can do that a lot easier, you know? Um, I don't know, I, I want to I do that. I definitely want to get into furniture. Um, but it's really about like figuring out like the timing of everything. Like clothes haven't even taken off for me that far, so yeah. it's just probably like a couple years down the line. But yeah, just focusing on one thing before exactly. you get to another. But like you definitely you have those ideas there, and I feel like school is teaching you those the initial techniques and theories behind it, and how like some things or what's like how do I say it uh, constitutionally or in popular culture like what's what's favorable right so it brings me to my next question which is let's say you have no budget you have no budget nobody to tell you you have a limit of any kind but you are to build a house or uh apartment whichever anything but it's your bachelor pad Mm. how would you go about doing it it's a house or an apartment anything it would be a duplex to be a new project, project on. Yeah. Um. Shit. Okay. Um. I don't know. I remember seeing this house when I was super young, and it was crazy. I, I loved the way it had this like rain catching system, where it would like 
the roof itself was like really weird. I can't even remember what it looked like. I think it was like a like a concave roof where like all the water came into one one specific spot, um, and it had this filtration inside the house that was generated by like solar panels and that like turned you know like it, it moved the turbine inside in order to filter that water and i'm sure there was like some sort of like uv process or something that like filtered the water and it it, it was the water for the house like it was the, all like the irrigation and like in the faucets um so i really like the idea of having like things that are self-sustainable i love the idea of having a house and i'm not like the type of dude to be like aaron you'd be off the grid like i just want a house that i can that I know where my, you know, my sources are. I know where my water's coming from. I can regulate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know where my power's coming from. And my parents are both, like, my mom's a, um, an environmental lawyer or majored in it. And my dad has lived his whole life, like, working in, like, the in environmental sector, worked for Coke and water treatment. And so that, I've grown up with that. Like, I've grown up with, like, no, put that shit in the recycling, you know? Like, that's my mm-hmm. kind of family. Yeah. Um, and so for me, that's that's huge. Not only in clothes, but also in like if I have a unlimited budget, that's I mean, that's the house I would build. It's something yeah. that's like super self-sustainable. Probably have like a wind turbine somewhere in there, maybe like a, a hydroelectric in the backyard. I don't know, but definitely something that I I I can control myself and that I know is like I don't need to depend on like a power bill, on like the you know like a gas bill. It's all you know self-functioning. And I feel like something like that is just smart. Like you want to build something that's intelligent. You want to build something that can like sustain itself. Yeah. Um, and obviously, once you introduce like uh, artificial intelligence or some sort of like, you know, main computer in the house that regulates everything. And so for me, it's it's about making shit easier for yourself, um, like these mundane tasks and like just having something that can really provide and provide and provide and, and you decide how much it does. Um, yeah. And like keeping up your house is one of those things that even if you pay off a mortgage, you're gonna end up paying for it for however long to like just maintain it. Exactly. And like some people, when they have an absurd amount of money, they'll buy the biggest house ever. Maybe have like a family of four, yeah. like five, ten bedrooms, and like a twenty thousand dollar a month maintenance. And they'll build so, it. They won't even actually like buy that. They'll build that house and they'll decide that's I want it to yeah. look like a McMansion. That's what it's gonna be like. Yeah. It's sad, man. Um, I, I was actually working on a house in like high school. A friend of mine, he the, they were they were stupid wealthy, and they they didn't have that big of a plot of land. It's probably like the size of like your property here. Mm-hmm. But the dude wanted to build the biggest size house on that property possible. So obviously there's like limits, you know, to how big you can build a house. Yeah. It shows four stories. Uh, and it was, it was absurd. It was like the stupidest house. I like just the way it was built and like the size, it was unnecessary. It was only like a family of four and they needed this like castle. We moved down like, what, two years? Supposed to live in it for 10 and then they were like, well, I got too lonely. Was literally mean, the half the rooms, like, half the rooms weren't even used. I didn't even see my family because it's yeah. a fucking like, it, it's ridiculous, bro. And then, and I was like, yeah, I built that. I drive by it every day I go to school and I'm like, I built that. Yeah. Like. I feel like, I mean, two, three stories are enough. Three, including, like, a basement. Uh, just have something, like, for me, really, like, a garage or, like, a studio or workshop. Yeah, something exactly. like a space like this where I can really, like, walk around, do whatever. You know, I can BS and watch TV, and now I can get up and have, like, some spur of creativity. And, yeah, like, exactly. Come here, do whatever I got to do, and then, like, walk into the garage. Yeah. And, like, really something that focuses you in on like your creative side because i've started to come into a notion where like home is where you incubate all these things like these are where your real thoughts coming out like you might see things outside or you might like 
go through certain events that might make you think a certain way. You but bring them home with you. Yeah, you bring them home, and this is where you really think about it. Yeah. You're like, hmm. I mean, I'm not doing anything else here that I've never done before. So, like, why not? Yeah, you need a space for it. I completely agree. This new crib that I got in um, in Westlake, it's basically like a, it just has a top floor, and the, and the whole first floor is renovated. And then it's got this, like, nasty-ass basement. It's like, it's just not been touched. And mm-hmm. so the basement's just, like, still the cement floors, like, holes in the cement somewhere where you can see the dirt. But it's, it's honestly, it's perfect. It's, like, it's exactly what I wanted. It's just, like, a, like a blank a slate. Yeah. Exactly. I, I'm, like, I, my friends play drums. They, they, they have their guitars. And so, like, we'll bring all that shit, put it in the basement. I'm trying to set up, like, a little room where I can have my machine. Um, and just make it into a studio because it's literally a square footage of the house. It's just, like, empty. You know, there's pillars everywhere, obviously, but that, I mean, it's it's perfect. And so having a space like that where it's it's really just like a blank canvas where you can fucking spray paint the walls if you want. Yeah. That is, that that's the best. I think that's something that's like any creative needs to have, you know, like whether it's a storage space or whether it's actually in your house, mm-hmm. like, that's super important. You don't want to be like sharing a room in your school and having to do that. Um, obviously, in certain circumstances, you have to, but it's really important to have like your own space to be able to like, like you said, bring those ideas home with you, and, yeah. you know. Even if it's like a shared space, but like somewhere where you can express it, yeah. or does it just sit there in your mind? Because eventually you forget it, and it'll just be like a castaway yeah, exactly. type thing. You'll come back to it later when somebody else did it, and then you'll be sick. <laughs> but uh, one of the big things I realized is that you're really about like sustainability, and that's a notion or it's a wave that not only the world's been on, but especially like the fashion industry. They're starting to go away well they're not going away but they're trying to be more progressive in a lot of more sustainable clothes like i see a lot of more people repurposing or like rebranding old vintage clothes or like their logo on it it might be printed or uh they might use like a certain type of plant to create their like t-shirts or something like that out of like natural materials which is one of the biggest problems that came with clothing where they use like different chemicals and textiles to create colors and they eventually put it into like lakes and runoff ponds that yeah the dyes are yeah so another one of those problems is like labor and sweatshops and not only just uh foreign labor and like taking advantage of those that economy but taking advantage of people that really have a passion to get into the field and like be somewhere you are like starting a brand but they want that exposure so they go to like a fashion house or school just to like prove themselves but their talent just gets used by the other designers so what are your thoughts like going into that realm um i think as far as like schools um i think it's weird because i know scad in atlanta has um a bunch of fashion majors and basically the school owns anything that you create so like you said all that labor is essentially like in a weird way it's like free promotion for the school because mm-hmm. they own everything you can't sell any of that and if you do sell it school will take your profits and then that actually happened to a friend of mine who's a who's a fashion major at sky um so for me it was never really about getting into school but I, I i do agree with um like the you know the issue of it not just being it's not it's not just about like the materials and like the processes you use but it's also about the labor and like the exploitation of you know not free labor but like cheaper labor or free labor in some places um, and I think that's just going to be like an unavoidable issue because as long as labor in the United States is more expensive um, than somewhere like Vietnam or mm-hmm. Cambodia, that's always going to be outsourced. Um, so it's really just about like 
doing it ethically. Like, I think you can have labor in countries like that, like outsource your labor and still have it, you know, ethically. And I think as long as there's, you know, people pushing for that to happen or people pushing for, like, transparency in, like, big companies. Um, I know, like, Adidas has really taken a stance on, like, ethical labor. And so they... Um, they, they make sure that people know where they're sourcing, you know, where, where, where their products are being made. And I don't know, like, to what, to what extent that's true, but um, I think it's important, like, push companies to have that transparency. And um, for me, like, the thrifting stuff, that cancels all that out, you know, like, because there's such, like, a huge, um, like, stockpile of old clothes, you don't need labor, you know, like, the only labor you'd have is, like, putting your design on it, and really that's, you know, it's nothing Jeez. compared to actually, like, fucking making the textile and yeah. making the cotton and, like, really you know, knitting a t-shirt together, so that's, that's my, my main focus, because I, I can't, like, I can't afford the plant-based dyes, and I can't afford the, um, the ethically sourced labor, you know, the labor is me, like, I, I make it, so for me, it's just about, like, finding how many ways I can cancel out the costs, and thrifting is one of the ways, because I buy shit for, like, 25 cents, mm-hmm. um, so it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a huge issue, though, I mean, I completely agree, um, Fashion, I mean, it's misconstrued to be like the most wasteful industry, like the second most wasteful industry. It's it's not, but it has a lot of these like different facets, especially the dyes. Um, denim, I think, is is like the most um, wasteful or like polluting um, like type of clothing right now, um, and it has really always been just because of the dyes used in denim are just so toxic um, that people are really pushing towards that like more plant-based, biodegradable side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, how much are those plant dyes? Dude, they're expensive. Um, like you could, there's a bunch of websites that do it. Like you could source um, like biodegradable, biodegradable fabrics, or, like ethically made fabrics, but that that'll always be more expensive because it is more expensive to make. You know, and like, mm-hmm. their margins have to be the same as as somebody who's not doing that, and so they they gotta be you know pricing a little bit higher um, because there's people going the other route. You know, there's people like doing the cheap route, like Guild, and they make their shit cheap as fuck like they, yeah. you know, probably like 10 cents for a hoodie and it feels like 10 cents like the value is what is there it's a piece of shit um but that's the thing like if you want to do it ethically like you really got to take it upon yourself to like do the labor yeah. you know cut out one of the costs in order for you to make it sustainable otherwise you're going to be one of those ig brands sourcing everything out of like i don't fucking know china i don't know where the fuck you're going i don't know where they get but, their um, stuff from. it's boo boo it's not good i can i can attest by that yeah so what about, like, brands like Gildan, or not even just Gildan, because, like, I understand Gildan itself is not, like, trying to take advantage of somebody. They might sell you wholesale 10-pack t-shirts or long sleeves for, like, 10 or $20, so, like, $2 a t-shirt. That's no harm. But, like, brands that are now considered high fashion, maybe, like, a V-Loan or, like, uh, anti-social social club that really takes a Gildan shirt, puts a design on it, and just raises the price up like yeah. nobody knows. I think it should be a new word. I don't think it just should be called fashion. Because um, it really taints like everything, you know? Like, yeah. If you have a brand like that and they're they're seen on the same like pedestal as other brands like um like previously like Pyrex was kinda seen on the same level um, before off white as something like anti social social club. And so I think that that's just like it shouldn't be considered that it should be considered something else because the audience aren't the same people. The people who are looking for like genuinely good clothes or like high fashion or luxury fashion or the ones who are just looking for the cool shit out of thrift aren't the ones buying anti social social club. You know, those are like the you know the juniors or seniors in high school who like really want to fit in or whoever it is. You know, maybe they're like 27 and they just want that. But yeah. it's not the same type of people. Like it's completely different consumers, completely different market. Yeah. Um, and there's obviously brands that don't really fit either side. I think Off White is is one that plays into that a lot, plays into that like 
serious high culture, maybe even birthed it, who knows. But they also have some more like luxury stuff that's a little bit more respectable. Yeah. Um, I think LV, since Virgil, you know, hopped on, has done some good stuff. I don't think everything that he's done there is trash. I just think that a lot of it is derivative and it's not necessarily new. You know, it doesn't make it trash. Um, but Antisocial Social Club, that's like written off for me. Like, that yeah. I that, could, that's full trash for me. I remember I had a friend, he got. He ordered like a hoodie, like a July 4th hoodie, so he just had a print roll over his anti social club. He didn't get it until maybe like five or six months later. Yeah. The crazy. shipping was bad too. I was like, all right, so first, okay, I get it. You built this hype here. You're known notoriously for bad shipping, but like you've never taken a stab at fixing it. Yeah. So it like, probably makes so much money too. Like, yeah. It doesn't make sense. You have cheap ass clothes, your printing's probably not that expensive. And you would make hella money. Like, people buy this shit. How are you not able to, like, one-up one of those those parts? At least make it shit? somewhat better on the business side of it. Yeah, I haven't even seen new designs. All I see are hoodies. I don't even see t-shirts on I haven't, I haven't seen new designs in a minute. I haven't even really been following clothes like that in a minute. Like, yeah, bro, me neither. I don't I don't really stay in touch. Like, um, like I, I have friends who are really, really in tune with it, and that's where I get a lot of my, like, my info on it. But I'm not, like, super tapped into the fashion industry. Like, I know a lot of people are, like really tapped in and i don't think you necessarily need to be to be a designer but it's important to like have some kind of background knowledge and yeah at least know what's going on and like where you, i mean it's a source of inspiration you could see exactly, something yeah. and it's actually a good question whereas like would you consider taking a certain feature or a certain like theme of another designer's pieces and like making it to your own as in like stealing ideas yeah i mean um i think that's that's huge, like being able to take somebody's take somebody's work, find what makes it inspirational or interesting for you and being able to apply that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a it's like a, a, a weird you know, weird line to tread because like you really don't wanna be copying people. Yeah. So you have to be really cognizant of like why you like it, you know? And focus on and it. focus on that. Because if you're thinking about why people like it, then you're a little bit you're, you're stealing it because you you're really like taking like the thing that, you know, everybody's attached to and, you know, turning that into your own thing, putting your name on it. Um, for me, I think um, some designers that I really do take inspiration from are, um, like, I really like, um, uh, what's his name, Sam something. He's the guy behind A Cold Wall. But I really like, at least a, a while ago, I was really into A Cold Wall. Yeah. Um, I forget his name, Sam something. But he, like, I, I think he's like a Virgil-esque kind of guy. Like, they're really good friends. Um, but he, for me, he's completely different. Like he's on a completely different like scale to Virgil. I think that he has a lot more. He puts a lot more thought into his stuff, and I think it's really like obvious, like the 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 like direction he's going with the brand. Like I think the brand is very distinct. And people say like, no, it's derivative. Like this shit's been done. Um, but for me, at least, like I don't have the knowledge. I don't know yeah. what was before that. So for me, I saw that. And I was like, well, this is great. Like I love this. Yeah. Um, so I love like the minimalism of Cold Wall. They just like the way he does like the. You know, like his geometric style. I think the you know the minimalism in it, I think, is is huge for me. I think that that type of fashion, I I, I really like, and I like, I'm driven to. Um, it lasts. It lasts. It really yeah, lasts. it's simple. You know, I think I think simplicity is super important in clothes. Um, but at the same time, you know, it doesn't need to be. Like, you don't need to be simple. You can be as like crazy and chaotic as you want to be with your designs, and it's still amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really about like taste and preference and so something like that like you could look at a cold wall and be like well that's so minimalistic and so like to the point that i want to be the opposite you know it doesn't make one better than the other but i think that being able to like 
take what you like from it and apply it to your own thing. Um, stealing, I guess, is is like an important skill to have. Yeah, and then that goes into like avant-garde fashion and like yeah. some of those things are really out there, but you won't see a lot of people wearing. So I know you have some pieces uh, with Spurner that are like your statement pieces. Like I remember the coat was a statement piece. Uh, what goes into the idea of making something like that? Like, is that the a conjunction of like all your work put into one? Yeah. Um, you mean the the trench coat? The yeah. Trench coat. Yeah. Yeah. So that one, that's that one's got a weird story. It was actually um, it's a Jill Sanders coat from the grandmother of a friend of mine, and he was like super wealthy. His his grandparents are super wealthy, and like I'd always be over at his place during like in high school, and so. Mm-hmm. He would, um, he'd like show me, he had his like grandmother's closet in his closet for some reason. He lived with his grandparents. And he, um, like I found that coat and I was like, yeah, shit, this fits me. And I was like, where is it? And he's like, yo, that's my grandma's. And I was kind of like, oh shit, that's crazy. He's like, yeah, you can have it if you want. Like he doesn't wear it. And so he basically just gave me the Joe Sanders jacket. I had no idea who Joe Sanders was at the time. Um, and so I, I think for me like that, that coat already had some significance. Um, and then with the, the designs that I put on it, that collage, which is um, like the, the, the Russian collage, and you can put this up on like the, yeah. the video if you want, like if you just get like a picture of it. Um, he, not he, um, that was my first, that was one of the first collages, and so I took that piece and was like, well, what does this look good on? And I thought about like kind of like the Soviet idea with it. Um, and I think it's like one of, the, one of the first pictures I have is actually the collage. This one. It's yeah. It's, that's the back of it. Um, Let's see. And it's like Lenin with Stalin at like it was all from that Geo magazines. Um, and then I got like some like Vatican like uh, bishops in there, or cardinals or whatever the fuck they're called. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I just wanted to make something that just like had a little bit depth, a little bit more depth to it. And then I thought of putting it on the jacket. Um, and then I took that the dude in that collage and put the you know the same design that I had on that sculpture, the one with the tea bag. Yeah. put it on there um and kind of the message like built built upon itself like i had an original idea with it but as soon as i like i started finding these pages in these Na- geo magazines i was like oh shit this is perfect so i literally got like stalin's statue being like pushed down and like the, i don't know where it is but like blood thrown on it there's like a noose around his neck and i just threw that in there with lenin and the fucking cardinals and then Put the little tea bag guy in there and i thought the, the jacket was just the like the right jacket it was like a blank slate it was perfect for it um and i want to do i want to do more with that that collage because i think that piece is is really the only one that i put it on that let joe sander jacket yeah and with those collages like a lot of those places and those things that you put on there are like european things or they're like really industrial so what inspired you to go with that industrial mindset or more like like i remember the stickers had uh it was like a communist soldier on it. Mm-hmm. That's the dude on there. Yeah. So, where'd you get that idea from? Um, I was um as like as like a kid, I guess in like early like middle school, I was really into um like the Bolshevik Revolution and like early communism. Um, I was like kind of nerdy into like communist manifesto and that shit. And so, when I was going through those magazines, I found a magazine that was on. Um, I think it was like the um, Yugoslavian War, some shit like that, or it was mm-hmm. like um, something to do with one of those countries seceding from the Soviet Union. And I found all of those those images in there, 
and it just like kind of like rejogged my memory back to like when I was really into that. Um, and like since I had kind of like a little bit of the knowledge and like I knew which you know which symbols to play on and like who to put in there and like really like kind of tell a story or like make a statement with it, um, it spoke to me and I think that that kind of triggered my like obsession with the collage since I think this was like my second collage that I ever made. It made me really think of like well if I can get all these Nat Geo magazines and there's like cultural or historical significances in almost all of them. I can really like create a dialogue or I can create like a story by like mixing and matching those um, and like talk about history and like talk about like with current shit like find one from like 2020 and like use pictures from that and pictures from one from like the 60s or from the 70s. Um, I just thought that was like a really interesting way to like combine those two and like kind of create this kind of like weird, you know, like situation where you have things from the present and shit from the past. Um, you know, I haven't really gotten too far into that. Um, like right now I have one that I've been working on for so long, they're just really hard to do because like there's just so many ways to combine the images that like you kind of just get like shit, I don't know how to do this. Um, but I have one right now that I'm working on that is like, um, like it, it's, it's, it's Afghanistan and it's like the, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. And then it's also like, um, I have pictures of Putin today. And so I'm trying to like figure out a way to like kind of tell that story mm-hmm. and like show a thread through it all. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's something that I haven't really touched on too much, but I actually did a project in, in one of my ID classes about that and like kind of like art, you know, like telling history through art and like a way to like, kind of like, um, look back at certain events and be able to express them in a, in a creative way. Um, and like an aesthetic way because you have a collage, like you don't yeah. know the meaning, it's just like it, the colors are good or whatever. Um, so that's something I still want to explore a little bit more. But I kind of just have to figure out the timing and like really develop my skills a little bit more um, and knowledge. Like I don't understand enough in order to really tell the stories as best as I can. Mm-hmm. I understand. And even talking about like today, like I feel like right now, I remember saying this in the first episode, like right now, this is something that is going to be in history books and we're going to remember it. Uh, we, this entire podcast was created just to emphasize the fact that like our generation and the people younger than us we are the future now and like we are in charge of what the next couple decades are going to look like and how we perceive everything that's going on now because this is like a huge shift we've never seen yeah. anything like this in our life yeah so it's up to us now on how we perceive these events going forward so i want to know like what's your perspective on everything going on with like coronavirus uh us just in utter turmoil yeah um i think like i I think it's huge man i think i think it's extremely important for people to really be like um tuned in and to know what's going on to be able to say like yeah i was a part of that or like um i I was there like i was either in the protest or like you 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 should have a stance and i think it's really Mm -hmm. important for people to really take a stance and like know why they stand you know, or you know which side they stand on, like why they represent that, that cause. Um, obviously, for me, I was like, you know, I'm um, having a brand and 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 being and having a little bit more of like a platform. I was kind of just like, well, I, I can't be, I can't be putting on my art right now. Like, this is yeah. not the time. So I really took a break on Serena um, from putting on my work, and then on my personal page, I was, I was, you know, doing a little bit more advocating. Um, and so I think it's, I think it's super important for people to really just like take a step back and do a lot of bit, a lot of reflecting, like, especially me, um, I'm not black, but I am a POC, 
you know, I am Latin, even though I'm super privileged to be in this country, like a lot of my family members don't have the privilege that I do, so it's like a weird, you know, there's a discrepancy there, but I'm definitely not African-American. So for me, it's about like being able to look at all the privileges that I've had and I've been able to experience throughout my life and all the things that I've been privy to that maybe I've taken for granted, you know, like all the shit that I've seen people go through um, that I just was unaware of, that I just like, oh, that's, just, that's just life, you know, that's just mm-hmm. the way things are, you know, and, and about being able to like check yourself and check that complacency. Because um, I, I like I really don't care how like anti-racist you 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 can say you are. I think that there's you know that there, there's always going to be shreds. Uh, you know there's going to be moments where you were a little bit like you didn't pay attention. Or you didn't know. You know. So I feel like it's yeah. really just about being as self-aware as you can and recognizing that like everybody has a role to play mm-hmm. in the movement. And whether you're not advocating on social media or you're donating or you're actually out there and getting fucking tear gas. You know, like just have a stance and like really try and. It, it's it's impossible to, to know exactly what it's like to live that plight, but I think it's um, it's super important to try to empathize as much as you can and really like understand like what the fuck is going on. You know, you're not gonna change it. You, you're not. We're not gonna change it. You know, like two people. But I mean, it's I think I think as long as people can really like understand that there is something going on, there is a plight. You know, it's it, it changes a little bit more because I think the main issue within our generation is the ignorance. You know, I don't think I think there's many less people in our generation than millennials that are racist. That would be like saying racist shit. You know, I think that that percentage of the population will keep getting smaller, it'll diminish. But what might increase is ignorance. What might increase is people just being like, Yeah, there's no racism. Like I I don't you know, it's not like the I don't see color type of shit, but it's just like the you know, it's just that like blatant like mm-hmm. um I didn't I didn't know or like I'm I'm unaware, you know, like it's not my fight. You know, that type of stuff. I think that, you know, being able to, like, fight that within yourself and, like, reflect and be able to be like, no, I, I have to, you know, I have to say something because I am privileged. Um, it's super important, especially for our generation, you know, and people younger than us. It's just about, like, kind of just spreading awareness and making sure that everybody's, like, cognizant and is, like, self-aware. Because it's, like, a precedent thing. Like, it's not be we, the people that show the ignorance is not because, like, they really dislike another person because of their color. It's just like they've grown up in that, and they—it's just like a subconscious act. Exactly, it's subconscious. Yeah. And it's hard to be aware of shit that is subconscious, but I think as long as you have the right people around you, and just like being able to let people speak, you know, I feel like being able to like let the people who are actually like the center of this issue being able to, to like talk, mm-hmm. um, and not shroud out, you know, their voices with like wanting to, you know, say what you, you know, what you think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I mean, it's it's for me at least it's 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 a, it's like one of the biggest moments in my life that I've experienced. Mm-hmm. Coronavirus and this whole movement for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't think we'll ever live anything like this in the rest of our lives. Um, and it's super important to like know where you stand, you know. Yeah. I think it's huge. At least at least for me, like obviously you as an African American is different, but um, like that's for me, it's like. I gotta, I gotta be able to say that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a part of this, like, because I genuinely believe it. But just because you believe it doesn't mean that you necessarily stand hand in hand with the people who are suffering. You have to actually go out there, exactly, and actually make a stand. Yeah, I believe you. I mean, I've been reading up on it and like trying to get. I'm just trying to dig deeper into it beyond the whole race thing because, like, I've seen this trend happen. Like, uh, think about it, like Romans, Egyptians. I mean, I'm a Christian, so. Uh, I know about the story with the Israelites and Egyptians and Moses coming and saving them. There's a lot of historical instances where that repeats and it's just like a 
class of people that has gained the power has tried to push their reign over people or like push a jurisdiction on somebody else to make them lesser not because they are truly like a person of lower ability or lower status yeah it's it's like they they don't want to lose power yeah and they're scared of losing somebody that's different than like creating that what we would think is an ideal utopia where like you have a black leader or an Asian leader or a white leader. And I feel like there's so many stigmas or not even stigmas, but there's so many like restraints put in place where not only can we not express that like uniformity as a, as a world, but we, there's something bigger that's hiding the fact that stuff is being misconstrued all the time. Like uh, I started reconsidering what I think about the media like the news is such an informed thing but sometimes I feel like I'm even lied to not necessarily lied to but like I have to dig deeper and find yeah. this research for my own because like think about it coronavirus is such a big thing then we no longer hear about it all we hear about is these protests but coronavirus is still out there so it had me thinking about all these different types of things and it's like I don't want to as much as I want to stand there for my brothers and sisters that are being persecuted in our own country and police brutality is a real thing. And I think that, you know, a lot of the force now is like untrained or they just like have a lot of pent up energy and they don't know how to put it out in the right places when they're supposed to be a mediator. It's like, we have to unite together and start thinking more like the people that have privileges like us, we're able to go to like university and start developing these like deeper thoughts and see, have a, bigger scope of what society looks like start digging into these things and like some things we can't meddle with or like it's cost people their lives to like get into these things like i remember like nipsey hustle was starting to get into aids and that documentary with dr sebi and then he was just the guy who came up the cure or supposedly did yeah so he had some huge breakthrough with aids in africa and they were going to bring him and have this documentary and then Nipsey died and he was like uh, a big uh, benefiter or he was a big in getting that documentary out there and it was just like weird and then it's happened also I remember when coronavirus came there was some guy that lived in Boston I think he went to like Harvard Med or something like that he was a medical student there and he had a huge breakthrough like in figuring out what was going on and he mysteriously died in his apartment so like things like that, I'm not going to say, I don't want to say like I'm superstitious or like there's something bigger there, but obviously there's some people that use their power for ill gains yeah. and like to keep everybody in this notion it's of, like yeah. yeah, and the restraining them from knowing the actual truth. Uh, I don't understand why they've made us into this thing. Like I remember listening to another podcast, uh, who was it? Tom Billy, he has this podcast called Impact Theory. He had a guest on that I was talking about, like, destruction of the world and, like, game theory. And he's expanding on, like, social media and how they want us to get addicted to it and what they use to get us addicted to it, like, using likes and comments and, like, the algorithms for a feed. They were definitely diving into, like, curating things for us so we don't have we don't get to see like the bigger picture because if we see too many things that aren't what we like 
we're going to start questioning it yeah. or like trying to dive deeper into it. And that's why I created the podcast more so that like, if you have a question, hopefully like me or my guest on here is able to either answer it or expand on it enough for you to like dive deeper into it or give you that confidence to like go and find it out yourself. Yeah. But it's definitely like a weird world where we live in now where, you know, it's acceptable to go after the same things that everybody else is doing. And it's like ingrained into us. Like not saying that college is bad, but like we have this set plan that's like go to school, do good, go to college, get a job, keep on moving. Yeah. Not saying that it's like bad or anything. It's but just a safe bet because some people yeah. have done it before and your family's done it. So it's kind of just like, well, why not do it? Yeah. You know, because it's like, well, look where I came, you know, look where, look where I'm at. Um, and I think that's like it has a lot to do with like the preconceived notions. Right? I think it's like people people just become so accustomed to the safe. They become accustomed to like you know the the path that their family's already paved for them. So it's like it, it's really about you. It takes courage. Like it takes a lot of like you know a lot of guts to be able to say like no, I'm not gonna do what you did. Like I'm not gonna go to that school because you need me to go to that school. It's not even about school. It's about anything really. Yeah. Um, like. It's just about understanding that you you you're you're born with a blank slate, and as you grow up, there are things that you are going to start to develop, and things that are going to start to become a part of you. You have no control over. You know, the main thing being your family and and your friends, people around you, and the shit they say. You know, just the things that you hear that are just going to become like implicit cues that you know, as soon as you hear that, it's like, oh yeah, no, that's right. Like I do have to go to school. Like oh, I gotta get good grades. Yeah. You know, and it's not like the one of one of the other is good or bad. It's just like. That's something that you should be a little bit more skeptical of because you didn't have a choice as to whether or not you wanted to, you know, like have that built in, have that program mm-hmm. literally built into your head. Um, like uh, the main thing is awareness. Like the main thing is just being able to be like, no, I am like this because of this reason. You know, like, because my dad is like this, I am like this. You know, and being able to just be like aware of the things that you, you know, carry over, the things that you might pass on to people. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and that goes for everything. That goes for race. That goes for like people's biases. That goes for you know prejudice. Anything, anything. And especially when it comes to like younger people, I think it's super important for people to like have that mindset to where like I don't know everything, but I know that there's a lot of shit that I don't know that I should really try to figure out and really try to like go and understand the truth for myself. You know, not go like you know watch CNN and understand about the protests, but like go figure it out for yourself. Go make your own opinion. You know, people are so quick to go have opinions made for them on online, um, just because it's easy, because you can talk about it. You know what they said, so you can just, you know, literally regurgitate that shit that you heard, that you read. Um, and, like, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, like, suspect of that, too. Like, I've, I've done that a lot. I, I think it's, like, an easy route, you know? Like, you watch a movie, you want to see the review. At least I'm lucky like that. Like, I want to see the review. I want to know what somebody else thinks yeah. of it. I'm like, well, I thought it was good. What did you think? And they're like, no, it was a piece of shit. I'm like, it was a piece of shit, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's it, it's weird. It's like a it's like a weird habit that I know I have. I think a lot of people do, um, if not everybody. And it's just about like being able to just recognize. You don't even have to break it. Just like recognize that that's a habit that you have. Mm-hmm. You know, because then at least you're doing it you know out of free will and not because you're just like subject to this conditioning. And that's the thing, like just having the free will, which I like. It's okay to disagree. I want to start making that more apparent in like my conversations because i've noticed that i'm non-confrontational like 
I'll do whatever I can. Like, I might have an opinion that opposes yours, but, like, I'm not going to say anything about it. I'll just keep my mouth shut and, you know, keep moving. I don't want any problems. Like, now, it's like there's things I want to push for. And even it's not because, like, I wanted to show that I'm right or something like that. I've gotten to discussions where I've tried to force people to think that I'm right. And I'm like, dude, it's not going to work like that. But there's some things it's like I just care about us as a race to start thinking for ourselves because we literally have people thinking about like what we're doing or like what we're going to do and how we're going to do it like even being in school realizing that everybody's kind of like okay i'm gonna start here freshman get an internship work for them because you know they're paying like 40 50 dollars an hour yeah it looks and good. It's like, yeah i've started to be like okay so tech is just uh a mill for corporate exactly, slaves. Exactly, you. Exactly. Yeah, and it's like, all right, you get paid well, so like, I mean, I'm that's just... All the, that's all the people are there for, you know? Like, they're, I'm sure there's kids that are super interested and that will become, like, these career, um, yeah. whatever, like astronomers or whatever they want to become, and they're doing it out of passion, but I think the majority really aren't doing it out of passion. I think the majority of those kids are becoming IEs because they know there's money in that. You know, there's money in big data, so they're going to go that route. Um, and then you see them with their, like, side hobbies, and they're, like, they're... You know, the things that they want to do on the side, like, um, like I don't know, like build shit. And that's the passion. That's and the passion's there. But the money is what's, like, taking them. Or, like, just the conditioning, you know? Just, mm-hmm. like, the idea that their family's put in their head. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, it's just, like, the school we go to um, really has that type of, uh, those type of people. Um, and I think that's that's one of the big reasons why I feel like I, I'm kind of, like, a sore thumb in, in ID. Because the majority of the kids there are like that. They They are really, like, the... You know, they're wired into like the tech mindset um and i think there's very few people at the school that are kind of tapped out and like into a whole different you know a whole different world yeah. um luckily i think i've met you know a lot of those people like the majority of people i'm friends with that tech are you know that, that type of person um that applies to, like every school too it's just like that you know being aware that you're conditioned and that the school is trying to groom you to like go out into the world, like, your professors are telling you, like, you should be, you should be in art school, like, you should be here, you should be in the block, you know, you should go get this internship, um, yeah, it's not always a degree that's the goal, yeah, exactly, it's the thing. like, if you, like, if people with those side hobbies, like, if you like making, playing with remote control cars, like, I don't care, as long as you like it, at least try to think of some way you can express that outwardly, yeah, Apply it to like what you're learning in school. Like if you're yeah. in IE and you're doing remote control cars, like apply those two. Figure out a way to make that like you know make your passion a little bit something something that's more in the forefront at yeah. least. You know it doesn't have to be like your career, but or just those skills. Yeah, exactly. Shouldn't be like an afterthought. You know, yeah. it shouldn't be like a oh, but that's you know plan W. You know, like that's should just be there. It should be with you. You know, mm-hmm. the whole time. Um, but yeah, bro, tech is weird. Tech is like a like you said, it's a mill for fucking yo pros for sure yeah i don't even know so what is a yo pro what do you define it's a young a professional it's a yuppie. literally um we're all in the mill bro you and i are in the mill too yeah we're in the mill you gotta get churned out i mean yeah that's the sad truth is i will get churned out like i will become a mechanical engineer and you know do my thing like fortunately enough i'm not willing to do anything out there in the sun like i really want to go into racing and cars and deal with that and just learn about that so i can be like i see myself becoming like some like chill dude exactly you apply those skills later yeah like the thing is you're aware like you're conscious like 
I'm I'm getting churned out. Like I'm in a school that's conditioning me. Like you're you're aware of the conditioning. And so when you get pulled out, when you get your degree and you like get a, a fast job at some sort of at, at like a company or like a, a manufacturer, you can leverage that because you know that you're gonna learn shit there and that's gonna look good on on paper and that you're gonna get skills out of that. And so once you once you've had your time, once you're like, all right, I'm done. Like my mm-hmm. time is expired. I'm good. I'm moving on. Yeah. You know, you you can just say peace. Like I have, I know what I'm gonna go do. You leverage the system. You leverage that. You know that that path that tech puts you on or that you originally were on in order to go do what you actually want to do. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with getting turned out or being a, a yuppie. It's just kind of about being like, well, I'm a yuppie, but temporarily. You know, like I'm about to yeah. leverage this and go do what I want to do. Yeah, that's a fact. Even so, like I feel like my decision to go there was based on like the resource that we have like i want to expand a little bit more on like createx later because it's not only entitled or it's not only a program for us right like people outside can get into yeah it's anybody. As, well. it's, as long as you're one person from tech i'm pretty sure yeah but like uh just tapping into those resources like meeting people like you are like low-key or meeting like sam people that are willing like it's a hub for creative minds and technical minds. You can really get anything done if you really want to. You can go, you know, build a studio or like make a microphone, stuff like that. And I want to be able to do that and bring these ideas to other people so that they can realize like, yo, I realize I can do this or I can use this software now. I can apply it in so many different ways. Like I don't yeah. have to just learn this to go do this job. Like I can actually get paid for it. Now. Exactly. In the facilities, man. I mean, even like Premier Pro that you just got for free. Like I don't think a lot of schools are getting that. You know, like tech because it's a school. It is. You you're able yeah. to get that, and you're not using it for school. You're using it for your own shit. You know, yeah. it's just it's like the little things like that. Like you just leverage the opportunities that you you know you made for yourself. Yeah, that's definitely one of the things that I really am thankful for. Yeah, the tech really has like some of the best, really the best shit there that's like up for grabs there. All the machines, all the facilities are, it's amazing. Like, my first year, the like, first thing I did was like, I'm gonna go to Invention Studio see what they got. And yeah. I got on the machine. Nobody touched the embroidery machine. Like, nobody even knew how to use it. There was one woman mm-hmm. who knew how to use it. She basically explained it to me, and I'd just sit there for hours until they closed. And it's, it's great as long as you really can like take advantage of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Really take advantage of the shit that's there for you. And not just like sit in class, do your work, and like get the grades, but just about like seeing what's around you and figuring out how to leverage that. Yeah, and really make it to your advantage and what you really want to do. Even if you don't want to, you don't know what you want to do now. So like, at least start figuring it out. Yeah, if you just don't like feel it out, like yeah. explore shit. If you don't like, even if you're the most sturdy person you know, and you like, you're not up for grabs in anybody's mind like you're corporately you're manipulatable yeah for sure yeah you could just get turned into something else yeah yeah and they can drop you whenever like that's just, that's the craziest thing it, in, inside of that whole like corporate like conditioned mindset um that scares me like my dad worked for coke for, for like eight years and as soon as he came to the u.s like nine years later, he got laid off during the recession, and in my mind, that was like the craziest thing because the dude literally has two masters. He's a he's a chemical engineer. Like he's 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 a nerd. He's he is a nerd. He was textbook nerd in high school. Finished like top of his class. 
and just gets laid off like he's a fucking janitor or something. It's crazy to me. Mm -hmm. And like all that education, all that time, you know, it's meaningful, it's important. But if you don't have like the, you know, the drive within you and and know what you want to do, you're not going to be in control. That company's going to drop you. You're going to get laid off. And then you're like, fuck, well, you know, who wants me now? You know, it's like, it's not like that, you know? Uh, for me, that that's what really like made my mindset. It's like after that happened, and I just like kind of saw how my family started like reeling from that. I was like, "Fuck, I gotta be in control. Like, I have to be in control of my future. Like, yeah. I can't have my kids like, you know, just like sitting around. Like, I can't go to school now because my dad lost his job. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't our case. We were we were fortunate enough to not, you know, not be in a situation like that. But for somebody with his credentials to just get laid off like that, I was shocked. Um, and so it's not like school's a part of it, but. It's really, it's really up to you and your mindset. And how you use what you get from the... Yeah, exactly. It's how you use that. And apply it to what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So then, after tech, you graduate. What's your ideal situation looking like? Um, so, right now, like, plan plan A, like, my ideal plan is obviously, like, take off with Smyrna and, like, um, things start going well. Um, this next coming year, I want to do a lot more, like, in-person pop-up shops. Um, maybe do like more runways and then if that starts to become like a, a viable um, source of income I won't I, I don't think I would need to you know have a, a, a salary job um, so that's plan a and then like obviously with Smyrna I want to get into more things like as soon as I get my foot in the door as far as like my income and like being able to live off of that I would I would just start venturing into like different you know different mediums wanting to do more um, and then plan B, if that doesn't if that doesn't play out the way I wanted to, I'll always stick to you know to doing what I do with Smyrna, even if I am like employed. Um, I would I would like to I'd like to just I'd like to get a job at, at a probably not a firm. I don't know if I want to work at a firm, but ideally in some sort of creative field that has to do with industrial design, most likely product design, um, maybe something to do with audio, maybe something to do with music. For my like well, a recent project I did um, I did like this this audio um, like kind of like a headphone device but it had like um, sensors where you could measure brain activity and so I think something like that for me would be really interesting just because I I, I want to do something that's like new and that's like on the frontier I'm not trying to make like you know old BD headphones that nobody wants to wear anymore so and obviously like that's everybody's dream you want to be on the frontier mm-hmm. or anything. Um, but I, I kind of keep that as my goal like I, I, I don't want to you know settle for like a kind of you know, second-rate job, um, and keep smiling going. Like that's that's the thing. Like I obviously need money. I need income to be doing what I want to do. But for me, it's about like putting out the best stuff that I can, putting out the most creative stuff that I can. So right now, it's like the story, and also this collection. So I, as soon as I get that done, like it's something else, you know, and, and keep developing it. So that comes before any sort of money or any sort of income from the brand. Um, so after I graduate, it's one or the other, and hopefully it's the first one. I'm I'm really hoping so, um, and I'm I'm trying to put in as much work and as make as many connections as I can so that it is long lasting. Um, but that's really up to um, it's up to me really. It's up to like the effort that I put in. I never put that on anybody else or like on fortune or chance. Like it's really up to me. Um, I don't like I don't like looking at it through this like um, the universe type of lens. Like oh it'll decide for me. Like no. I, I think I have I have what it takes to get there, and if I don't get there, it's because I didn't do something. It's because I didn't put enough effort in, um, and I'm okay with that. Like that kind of like ultimatum. Because you um, learn from it. Because you learn from it exactly. I, I have yet to really fail. I have yet to really like like fall down with the brand um, and and like fumble, you know, like or like lose a lot of money with it. 
Um, I think that that's, and I think it's important to have that. I think I will have that at some point in the future. Um, and I'm excited to see what I like gain from it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm excited to see like what comes next after that. I think it's super important to fumble and like fall down sometimes and like really have like a failure, like really fail hard so that you know like, okay, that was a fuck up for this reason, that reason or, or whatever, you know? Um, and people say that all the time. I think it's, I, I do believe it. I think it's super important. And um, you gotta make money though, you know? You need a job, so I might have to be a yuppie for a little bit until, yeah. until my shit takes off. White button up teach. That's what's the No, name. I nah. That's what I'm saying. I'm not gonna work in a firm, bro. I'm that's why. I, that's, I was just shirt. about to ask why you didn't want to go to a firm. No, definitely not. I'm not trying to show up in like the the frat boy outfit. Couldn't stay in a frat for two two weeks, so that would definitely not work out for me. Oh man, yeah. Like I haven't even thought about it. I was like, all right, I'll wear a suit, but like there comes to a point. Where it's like, all right, nah. I wouldn't make like if I grow to have my own business, I wouldn't make my employees wear like a suit and tie every day. Right. Like at least I understand the point in a uniform so it looks like a team. Like you don't have a basketball team with a whole bunch of different jerseys on. Right. But at least like something that looks clean, something that you can express yourself in, because I feel like many times people don't like uniforms because of that, because you guys all look like a fucking army. Right. And it's like, all right, well, who are we gonna shoot? Yeah, exactly. But Something that's cool, something that's different, and it shows that, like, you're a team, and I really want to build that family vibe. Like, this is my second family. Like, I'm really, like, okay, I might be making money off you, but, like, you guys are my second family. Like, I really put a lot into making yeah, exactly. sure that you guys are the best that you can be. Not for my sake, but, like, just to help. For their sake, too, Yeah. Because they're all, like, making money for each other. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, I think I'd really like to, um, whether it's in, like, the design field or in something more creative, I think I'd really like to open up, like, my own venture um and have and have like a proper business where i have employees um i i think that i I think i have i think i have a mindset for that i think i have like a you know not necessarily like a very business oriented person but i think i have like a like a a mindset for people and to like be able to like you know allocate you know and and have people do what they're best at and like really Mm -hmm. curate a a space for people to like do well and but that's you know i mean that's further down the line i think that uh, ideally, I'd love to do that. I want to work for myself. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, it's really just about like, getting out and maybe having to be a yuppie for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. That's the fear. Yeah, so last, last question. I don't want to keep you too long. So tell us about like the comic book and the idea behind that. Yeah, so um, actually, I have, a, I have a couple sketches for it. But basically, it starts out with um, the sketch... The, the devil guy that I have on like most of my stuff was the original sketch the dude that has like the Smyrna thing tattooed across yeah. his stomach. Um, but basically the the idea of it, and I can I can I'm gonna give you the whole rundown of the Lord. So yeah, I got a lot of shit over here. But he's he's essentially this um, this god. So basically there's like nine of these like eternal things, and all these gods are basically representative of like some fundamental um, principle of physics. So for him, he's God of Entropy, which is the second law of thermodynamics. And so his whole thing is about um, like returning the universe to thermal equilibrium, returning the universe to a state of like boredom, right? Where yeah. there's like high entropy. So he and these other gods, they are uncreated. They're not like they don't have any sort of like there's no head god. Right, but like another one of them would be like time and space, and then it would be gravity. And I still haven't figured out all of them, but he's the he's he's one of the main ones. And since I've already been drawing him this whole time, 
he's the god of entropy. And so basically what happens is they create life. These gods create life. And they create life on Earth. But none of the life on Earth is sentient. It's just like cat, dog, you know, tree. So he then says, because he's the god of entropy, he's like, well, I think humans, these things should have sentience. They should be conscious. They should be aware that they exist, you know, aware that they're alive. And the other gods are like, no, fuck that. He, they shouldn't because it's suffering. You don't want to give these things the awareness that they're going to live and die because then they're just going to be sad their whole lives. That's their take. He's like, no, fuck that. He goes and gives humans, one human, sentience. He gives this girl, this woman, this like Neanderthal or whatever, um, consciousness. And he, she falls in love with him as this god of, this god of entropy. And she goes, um, she, he, he names her Smyrna. So that's the first human is Smyrna. First conscious human is her. He, she falls in love with him. He's a god, so he can't really like reciprocate. But basically, like he takes her on like this journey. He, he explains everything, or everything since the Big Bang, um, and then she convinces him to give consciousness to the to, to the rest of humanity. And so he does. Mm-hmm. Humanity develops. They you know they, they start like uh, like early human life, and then they she somehow immaculately has a son with this dude. And with the with the god of um, entropy, and they have this kid, and humans start to deify her because she's like the first human. She's like the smartest one. She has all this knowledge of the universe, and so she's the the first like god for the humans, or like the prophet or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when she has this kid, the humans become zealots. They like fall in love with the baby, and so they kill the baby accidentally because it's like, oh my god, the baby, I love the baby, and so they kill the baby. Um, and she becomes, um, she, she she like reels like she becomes super depressed she's terrified she's so sad her baby's been killed and so she kills herself as smyrna um and this and the god of entropy the devil dude is like whoa fuck like, she died um and so he because he's given humans consciousness he is in low entropy because he's always in a state of entropy and he exists everywhere throughout the universe right so wherever there's high entropy in the universe, he's this like omnipotent god. But when there's low entropy, like on Earth, because humans are are low entropy things, they're like a very particular combination of molecules and atoms, so they're very low entropy. But in the grand scheme of things, because they have consciousness, they give off high entropy because they take energy, whether it's from the sun or from plants, and they return things to high entropy. You know, like they decompose, become, you know, um, carbon, and then that that cycle every time becomes greater and greater entropy because there's less energy being used um and so um he's in low entropy on earth and he needs this like life support and so he he basically builds this like system i don't know where it would be maybe like under the earth or on the planet or whatever but he builds a system this like life support system in order to keep him alive while humans are developing evolving she he programs her into this life support system smyrna and she becomes this like uh this like computer basically that keeps them alive um hundreds hundreds of thousands of years past humans are essentially now where we are now and she has become so conscious she's like re- regained her memory and is, it remembers that humans killed her child that she goes and she basically spreads into all modern technology now and she infects everything that is um anything that could be infected so any sort of technology that she could get into and she kills humans within like a couple of days she basically kills all humans and her the form she takes is this like spider thing um 
remember this one. Yeah, and so this is like these these are some some of the prints that I will have on like a, a new print coming out now, which is basically like the the end of Earth. Um, and so she kills all humans. He takes some humans. He takes like embryos or whatever, like babies, takes them to a new planet that looks like Earth, and starts humans anew. And he's still on low entropy, so he's still kind of weak. Starts humans anew on this new planet. And that's where this protagonist starts. So that's where the story starts. Everything before that is all lore. Um, and so the protagonist is essentially like 100,000 100, years after he's brought these humans to Earth. There's, um, there's two main religions. One of them is of the god Entropy. Because like people kind of remember who brought them there. Like it's just been passed down. So they like deify him. And he's represented as this devil. Because for whatever reason he's seen as that. Like that's just the way he's embodied in that, in that culture. So that's why he's drawn as a devil. Um, and then the other religion is of these. Um, what, they're, what they're like travelers or whatever. And basically it's um, human astronauts. Who before the end of the world on earth. Left on like a mission to like Mars or whatever. Um, and they got they got lost or, you know, they, they, they didn't make it there. And so they crash landed on this exoplanet and they became like the travelers. And so their ship is like the temple. And that's where like these humans, um, some of these humans who believe in this religion go to and worship. And so they worship these like past humans, post humans or whatever. And so the protagonist is a monk who like worships the, these traveler gods. And the story would basically be from his perspective um, about like his life there and what happens in his story is that the um, Smyrna is, is brought by the travelers to this planet because she's on the ship, she's on their shuttle, and so she's inadvertently brought to this new planet. And so as she becomes begins to like infect everything in this like spider form, um, and I don't really have a drawing for it in here somewhere, but that's like the monk dude. Um, she begins to infect shit on this planet, and she becomes like... The story would begin like horror. It'd basically be like a little village horror type of story. Mm -hmm. um, with like, there's a little village, there's an early human life, there's a little monk, and the, outside of the village there's these like creatures, which is which are like the spider things, which is Smyrna. And they're all afraid of that, they don't know what it is, and so they're all terrified of it. And this monk dude becomes infected by one of them, and so his body, like his legs decompose, and he, they like, the, the basically like the, you know, the metal or like the, the wiring starts to infect him, and he develops these like, these prosthetic legs that look like, that look like this. Um, that look like that. And so that's the protagonist. And so he goes, he, he, he goes to discover his religion and understand like the reality, like why he, he worships these people. And he goes on this pilgrimage to find Entropy, the god of Entropy. Um, that's the whole first issue. That would probably be the first issue. And then I'd follow another story of another protagonist, maybe the, like the travelers and talk about like how they got there. Um, and then ultimately the ending to the whole comic, to the whole story, would be, um, what I had to do a lot of research in, because I had no idea what entropy was, I was like, lost in that shit, that was like old high school textbook for me, so I did a lot, of, um, research on what entropy was, and like understanding it, and that the role it plays in like the Big Bang, so like the exchange of thermal energy from the beginning of the Big Bang to the end of it, mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting because it, like, the, the analogy that I found is that it's like dropping... Um, like a drop of milk into a cup of coffee, like those eddies that form, like that whole like cloud spiral, yeah. like this is for me it was an interesting way to look at like the way the Big Bang is essentially that drop, and the when it crashes, that's the formation of galaxies of life of you know stars and everything, and the more those eddies like spiral, 
the more energy is dissipated. So the fact the more they spiral, the sooner they'll dissipate. And so that's kind of the idea for consciousness is that the more those the more you add, the more complexity you add, the higher entropy there is, or the lower entropy sorry there is in, in each of those eddies, in each of those like little currents, because the more particular it's spinning, the more complicated it gets, the faster it'll dissipate. And so that's like why entropy that's his reason for creating consciousness. And then um, I dug deeper and found this, um, the dude who did, I think it, I think it's the equations of, you know Maxwell's equations? Yeah. You've heard of that. Um, so Maxwell Clerk, he, he had this, like, theory that basically, like, contradicted the idea of entropy, because the third law of thermodynamics, I think, is, like, any closed system will always increase in entropy or something like that. Um, and so he had this, like, this thought experiment where it, like, disproved that. It, like, kind of, like, disproved the, the second law of thermodynamics. So it was basically these two boxes that are separated by a wall, like a divider, and there's two different types of particles arbitrarily in, in, both, of those, in both of those boxes. And some of them are moving fast, and some of them are moving slow. And there's a little door in between this wall, between these two boxes. And if you had some sort of, either it's, like, a computer or something, and it was called, like, his idea was Maxwell's demon. Like, the demon is what opens that door. So if you have somebody, something that can open that door every time a fast-moving particle hits that slot, then that particle will go to the other side, and you can separate all those particles. So in that sense, you start with something that's very, um, very high entropy, because they're all arbitrarily set around, and it's the most, like, the energy is distributed as, as evenly as possible, and then you go to something that's very low entropy, where you have slow-moving particles, fast-moving particles which one would then be like cold on one side, hot on the other side, which could power like a, an engine or something. And that was Maxwell's demon. And it was it, it was stood for like a hundred years until it was disproved um, by this other dude who basically said you would need a conscious thing to do that. Or you need something that could create something, a conscious thing that could create, so like a, a human that could create a computer to do that, yeah. right? And consciousness is would be breaking that system. It would be breaking that closed system. It has to be a closed system. And so his argument was for consciousness. It would be like, well, consciousness completely, you know, it, it, it plays a role in this, and so you can't, you know, it doesn't apply to second law thermodynamics. And so it, it, it coincidentally really worked out because Maxwell's demon is like the demon in my story. Um, and so ultimately, at the end of the story, would be like the, the god of entropy would, for whatever reason, see that human life is worthwhile, and he would then become the demon in Maxwell's demon in order to keep life going and to have so that like there's never a big freeze, which is ultimately the end of the universe. So he keeps life going. He keeps he propagates, you know, any kind of life in in the universe by just like opening that little door. And so that's how it would end. Um, but I, it took me so long to get to that point, man. I had to like I just watched hella videos, did all these little diagrams and shit. Um, and I haven't even gotten through, like, the main protagonist's story. I don't even have a name for him. Um, but yeah. This, this is what I'm super excited about. Like, I'm really... You can, you can tell by the amount I talk about it. Like, it's... It's all I think about. Yeah. It's really there. And I'm, you're bound to find some new ideas on Yeah, right. exactly. Like, I can see this... This will come out as another collection. You yeah. might build off the story and get a collection off of that instead of something outside. Yeah, this is dope. Yeah, I thought um, I still gotta come up with like the the laws of physics for the other for the other gods, but I really wanted it to be grounded in 
physics. I wanted to be grounded in like astronomy. Because um, for me, at least, that's like my most, that's the part of like science I was always the most interested in. Even though I was not really good at it, like I just thought it was like the most interesting and, yeah. and the one that really spoke to me the most. Um, and so that's why I've like really, I really kind of stuck to this whole like sci-fi part of it and wanted to make it as like, I don't know, as in-depth as possible. Like it's the lore, you know, so it's like the, the whole backstory to the universe. You don't get any of that when you start reading it. The beginning's just like a little horror, you know, comic book um, with these like spider things. But once you learn a little bit more about it, then all this shit will become a little bit more clear. And the fact that it's on clothes, it's like you get a jacket and you got like the first the first issue, like the first page of it, um, and you can read it. I think is I think will be huge, um, just because I haven't seen that done before. But um, but this is like the thing I'm most excited about for sure. Yeah, for at sure. least in the near future. That's dope, and I can't wait to see it. Yeah, and come to fruition, man. Yeah, me too. I hopefully, hopefully by the end of the summer, I'll have like at least like the first panel. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna be doing the illustrations and like the text for it. So, um, I'll definitely, I'll definitely have it sooner than later for sure. Yeah, that's dope, man. Well, man, thanks again. This is a great conversation to have with you. Yeah, bro, for sure. Yeah, I appreciate you. Let us know where you can be found at if you have Instagram. Yeah, um, my my IG is Theodore Amazonas, um, and my uh, my brand's IG is underscore Smyrna underscore. Um, have yet to start a Twitter, but I probably should mm-hmm. in the near future. But yeah, I mean. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity, bro. I've been, you know, I'm just hoarding these thoughts this whole time. I'm glad yeah. to be able to, like, get it out. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much. For this marks the end of episode three of OWN. I appreciate you guys listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you learned something from this episode or helped bring value to you in any way, please subscribe on your favorite platform. Rate, leave a review, and share with a friend to help me build this community to bring value to as many people as we can. Again, thank you guys so much. This means a lot to me. Take care.